SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program uh, this Wednesday, the 22nd of February, we have a conversation with uh, Ben Kratz, World, World Pride Festival Creative Director. Ben Kratz will be talking to us about Mari Madang Butbut, which means many brave hearts in Katigol language. Mari Madang Butbut is a six-day-long First Nations gathering space celebrating Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander LGBTQIA+, sister girl and sister and brother boy culture and creativity. Also in the program today, still in the sidelines of World Pride, advocates are urging the Australian government to use its diplomatic power to advance LGBTIQ plus rights in the Asia-Pacific region. Also on NITV Radio today, we turn our attention to Australian indigenous languages. As you'll hear, these languages make up just 2% of languages spoken around the world, but they represent 9% of critically endangered languages. These stories and more coming to you after the latest news on NITV Radio, broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation today. Bertrand Tungandami Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, the Louisiana Institute welcomes progress towards voice to parliament as voice will improve health and well-being outcomes for First Nations people. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese to outline the state of Australia's national security in a key speech. And as your spy chief warns of an unprecedented threat with attempts to recruit journalists, judges and military veterans. Institute has welcomed the significant progress towards a referendum to be held later this year on constitutionally enshrined voice to parliament. Loija, Australia's only national Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community-controlled health research body, has long advocated for the full implementation of the Uluru Statement from the Heart's Calls for Voice, Treaty and Truth. The organization's chairperson, Selwyn Button, says the establishment of a voice to parliament would provide a strong foundation for the urgent work to improve health and well-being outcomes for First Nations people. The majority of, of people in community want to have a say on legislation and policy that affects them. The majority of Aboriginal other people have long talked about being involved in decision-making um, about policy and legislation that affects their lives. And going to a referendum at the end of the year uh, to insert 
that into the constitution provides a significant opportunity for our country to, to be involved in that process and to make some lasting change. Meanwhile, South Australia's Liberal opposition has declared it will oppose legislation to establish an Indigenous voice to the state's parliament. The bill is expected to become law with the help of crossbench MPs. An Aboriginal leader and CEO of the Federation of Victorian Traditional Owner Corporation, Paul Patton, is calling for increased support for initiatives working to reclaim and protect Indigenous languages. On the International Day of Mother Language, Mr. Patton said more work needs to be done to maintain and revive the diversity of Indigenous languages in Australia. While at least 150 Indigenous languages were spoken pre-colonisation, census data released in June last year found that only 167 of these languages are still spoken today. Mr. Patton says we need to recognise the significant contribution Aboriginal languages make to Australian society and act now in order to prevent further decline. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese will address the National Press Club today in Canberra where he is expected to endorse the AUKUS Alliance and flag possible further investment in Australia's Defence Force. It follows the handing down of the Defence Strategic Review Report last week, a six-month review completed by former Defence Force Chief Sir Angus Houston and former Defence Minister Stephen Smith, which assesses the capability of Australia's armed forces. Australia's AUKUS partnership with the United States and the United Kingdom is expected to feature heavily as anticipation grows for what the next steps will be and whether the PM will travel to the United States next month. An unclassified version of the report and the government's response to it is set to be released before the May budget. Australia's top intelligence official says a small but concerning number of former defence insiders are putting cash before country. Australian security intelligence organisation boss Mark Burgess revealed in his latest annual threat assessment his agency had been tracking veterans willing to sell their military training and expertise to foreign governments for several years. He warns foreign agents have attempted to recruit senior Australian journalists and potentially members of the judiciary. The issue came to public attention recently with media reports Western pilots had been approached by China to train its military. Mr. Bajes says Australia won't tolerate any foreign espionage. Based on what ASIO is seeing, more Australians are being targeted for espionage and foreign interference than at any time in Australia's history. More hostile foreign intelligence services, more spies, more targeting, more harm, more ASIO investigations, more ASIO disruptions. And from where I sit, it feels like hand-to-hand combat. A friend of one of the hostages taken at gunpoint in Papua New Guinea has described their heartbreak and anguish at the situation. It comes as an Australian professor and three people from the University of PNG were captured in the southern highlands with the criminals demanding a ransom for their safe release. Posting a message of support on social media, a friend of one of the hostages said their heart bleeds to not know how my beautiful and gentle friend and her colleagues are doing in the middle of the jungle. Russian President Vladimir Putin has announced that Russia has suspended the last nuclear arms treaty it has with the United States.
In a State of the Union speech raging against Western powers, blaming them for the war in Ukraine, Mr. Putin delivered a clear nuclear warning against its enemies. The New START Treaty, which was agreed upon in 2010 and is due to expire in 2026, limited the amount of nuclear weapons the two superpowers could possess. Mr. Putin said Russia is not withdrawing completely from the pact, but has suspended its participation. They want to inflict a strategic defeat on us and try to get to our nuclear facilities. In this regard, I am forced to announce today that Russia is suspending its participation in the Strategic Offensive Arms Treaty. I repeat, we are not withdrawing from the pact, no, we are suspending our participation. The State of the Nation address comes ahead of the first anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine on Friday. United States President Joe Biden has given a speech in Poland reaffirming his country's commitment to Europe as the war in Ukraine continues. It comes after Russian President Vladimir Putin delivered his own State of the Nation address warning that Russia is ready to resume nuclear weapons testing. Speaking from the gardens of Warsaw's Royal Castle, Mr. Biden said the democracy, the democracies of the world have grown stronger while the autocrats of the world have grown weaker. One year ago, the world was bracing for the fall of Kiev. Well, I just come from a visit to Kiev and I can report Kiev stands strong. <laughs> Kiev stands proud. It stands tall. And most important, it stands free. United Nations officials are working to provide aid in Turkey and Syria after eight people died in the latest earthquake to strike the border region between the two countries. The magnitude 6.4 quake was centered near the southern Turkish city of Antakya at a depth of 10 kilometers. It comes two weeks after an earthquake hit the region, killing nearly 50,000 people. The UN's Office of the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, Gada El-Tahir Mudawil, says right now the most, needed need, the most needed items are food and cash. We are trying to provide humanitarian assistance for those who are most in need. Just to give you a bit of figures of what's happening, only yesterday from earthquake, we had 195 civilians who had been reportedly injured uh, from Aleppo and Idlib, according to the initial reports. And there are further damages that had been caused to buildings which had been affected by the uh, first two earthquakes. Australia is sending a band to Eurovision for the first time to represent the nation on the world stage at the spectacular song contest being held in Liverpool this year. West Australian pop metal group Voyager have been chosen after coming second in last year's public vote for a Eurovision contender known as Australia Decides. Emily Griggs is the head of delegation for Eurovision Australia and says the band will bring an 80s vibe and catchy lyrics in their music. Voyager has been entering song after song, year after year, and I just feel like this year is their year. This is their moment to shine. Look, they're going to bring something different that Australia has never um, entered before. So Australia, we've always had some incredible solo acts, and this year we're submitting a band. And I think just that alone is a huge difference. The Eurovision semi-finals are being held on May 9 and 11, with the grand final to be staged on May 13. 
Wild weather continues to grip large parts of the country with crews battling a grassfire northeast of Melbourne near Flowerdale. An emergency warning has been issued with residents told it's too late to leave and to seek shelter immediately. Elio bombers worked throughout the night with around 200 firefighters deployed to tackle the blaze. The fire broke out yesterday afternoon and was upgraded to an emergency level in the evening. Meanwhile, intense rainfall has battered large parts of Sydney with the city's northern beaches and north shore among the worst affected areas. The state emergency service responded to over 300 incidences of over incidences overnight with 12 flash flooding rescues conducted mostly of people trapped in their cars. The state's central west city of Orange saw flash flooding and several homes and buildings in the central business district reportedly went without electricity overnight. The Bureau of Meteorology is predicting a 70% chance of further showers today. Elsewhere, South Australia is in the midst of a heat wave with a statewide code red issued which helps provide emergency accommodation for those sleeping rough in the state. It's expected to reach a top of 38 degrees in Adelaide. And to sport, NRL duo Latro Mitchell and uh, Jack Whiten have pleaded not guilty to charges stemming to an alleged fight outside a Canberra nightclub. They faced the ACT magistrate's court on Wednesday but won't fight their charges until after the season with a three-day hearing slated for the 30th of October. Canberra 58th Whiten is facing charges of fighting in a public place and falling to comply with an exclusion director. South Sydney fullback Mitchell is charged with resisting a territory public official, fighting in a public place and failing to, co- to comply with an exclusion direction. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome sunny 31, Perth sunny 29, Adelaide mostly sunny 38, Melbourne sunny 29 degrees, Hobart partly cloudy 22, Albury Wodonga partly cloudy 28 degrees, Canberra also partly cloudy and 22 degrees, Wollongong showers and 22, Sydney showers as well with a top of 24, Newcastle similar conditions with a 23 degrees, Brisbane a shower of 2 and 30 degrees, Townsville cloudy 20 28, Cairns showers and 30, Alice Springs sunny 36, Darwin cloudy 31 degrees, and the Torres Strait Islands a partly cloudy day and a top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. TV radio, on radio, online and mobile. I'm Petron Tungandami and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from NAM on the Cooling Nation this Wednesday afternoon. And just a recap of what's coming next in your program. Well, advocates are urging the Australian government to use its diplomatic position to advance LGBTIQ plus rights in the Asia-Pacific. And while they make up just 2% of languages spoken around the world, Australian Indigenous languages represent 9%, of critically endangered languages or languages on the verge of extinction. But first, let's explore Mari Madung Putbut, which means many brave hearts in Gadigal language. Mari Madung Putbut is a 2023 World Pride 
powerful First Nations participation. From the 23rd to the 28th of February 2023, on Gadigal Country, renowned multi-arts space garage works will come alive with a celebration of LGBTQIA plus SB, First Nations Brilliance, Artistry and Culture as part of World Pride 2023. The program with the largest Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and Global First Nations LBDQIA plus SB celebration ever to take place in Australia. And joining us on NITV Radio is the creative director of the festival, Ben Gratz. Welcome to NITV Radio, Ben. Thank you for having me. Now, Sydney's World Pride is just uh, around the corner and uh, this year it will host a First Nations gathering space, Mari Madong Butbut. Can you tell us more about uh, this and uh, what is this gathering space? Sure. Very good pronunciation, by the way. <laughs> I tried um, hard. <laughs> yes, yes. So Mari Madong Butbut is a part of Sydney World Pride and it is our First Nations gathering space, as you mentioned, taking place at Carriage Works from the 23rd to 28th of February. Really, this is a space during World Pride that is for everyone, that everyone's invited to come and check it out. But it's really centred around our global First Nations LGBTQA plus sister girl, brother boy community. Um, we've got a whole lot of different types of shows, theatre shows, cabaret shows, variety shows. We also have a visual arts exhibition. We have parties. Um, we have food um, from Indigenous Earth as well. Um, and we have, uh, you know, things for the whole family so that can come and enjoy that space. But really, it's about coming to Carriage Works, celebrating Sydney World Pride, celebrating First Nations culture and um, our LGBTQI plus sister girl, brother boy communities on Gadigal country here in Sydney. And is it the first time that uh, such an event is taking place? Yes, so this is the first time in history that a World Pride has taken place in the Southern Hemisphere. So we're very lucky to be hosting it um, here in Sydney. Uh, World Prides have been going since 2000, um, and they're a bit like the Olympics, so they happen around every two years, and you have to bid for them, so so you have to go and bid host a World Pride. Um, And Sydney Gaylord's been Mardi Gras, in 2019, went over to Athens to bid for Sydney World Pride. Um, one came back, and here we are, four years later, ready to run one of the biggest events that are happening in Sydney in, at this time. And the first uh, Mardi Gras actually in Sydney to return to Oxford Street after uh, yeah. two year hiatus due to the pandemic, which promises actually to build a lot of excitement and uh, yeah. partying in, uh, the, in Sydney. Absolutely, yes. Um, after two years of, of having it at the SCG um, during the pandemic, it's back to its spiritual home, Oxford Street, and probably one of the biggest years that it's going to be. So, um, And that's a, an incredible free event. So if you are in Sydney on the 25th of February, Saturday, 25th of February, come down to Oxford Street. Um, but we are also hosting a lot of viewing parties. And at Murray Manon Bookport, we are hosting a viewing party with Constantina Bush all the way from the NT and Rose Quartz. So you can come down to Carriage Works and watch the parade on the big screen in the comfort of um, Murray Bunnell Bookwood. 
Wow, without uh, having, because uh, when you go to the big uh, event in Sydney, getting anywhere is very hard. Taxis are just oh. unavailable. And, um, oh, exactly. So if you, you know, can have a, a space like that where you can just sit down and relax and enjoy <laughs> the party. <laughs> have a drink, you know, have some food. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. But how was this program put together? Oh, wow, yeah. So um worked on this program with our incredible First Nations team. Um, we have lots of many events happening, um, and so really it was just through, um, yeah, dreaming of what we wanted in that space, working with community, working with our team, you know, trying to work out how we can create a space that is going to be safe for community, is going to be the right place for community, um, and all the various different events, so, so people have access to that. So. It's very diverse, um, so everyone's welcome. Any, you know, um, sexuality or gender, any age is welcome to come and, and be a part of Courage Works, which we wanted to keep it, you know, so it is accessible for everyone. Um, we're also, um, a lot of our shows have Auslan interpreters as well, so you're able to come and be a part of it too. So, yeah, it's, it's just very exciting that we're able to create a program that is so diverse and something for everyone, really. Yeah, no, look at the program looks uh, inclusive, even family-friendly. But uh, is it going to be ticketed? Yeah, so some, some events are ticketed and some events are free. You can find all the information on our website, sydneyworldpride.com. Just have a look for Murray Banang Bootboot. Um, but, yeah, we have ticketed events. Some of our ticketed events, we have a club village, which is produced by the House of Kong. So Queen Kong, who is the star of that show, was recently on RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, uh, RuPaul's is very popular these days. So Queen Kong's coming to do a show called Club Village. Miss First Nation Supreme Queen, which is a drag pageant for uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and other global First Nations drag queens that's happening. We also have incredible theatre shows, Daddy and Chase, and um, as, as we mentioned, a lot of free events as well. Um, and also working with our Pacifica community to run an incredible event called Ova Ova, and then after that is Club of Us. So something for everyone, you know. Come down and check it out. Yeah, it's something for everyone. But what in your, you being the organiser, I know everything will be, you, you want everyone to see everything. Um, <laughs> if I only have uh, like half an hour, what's the must-see thing that I have to say? Yeah, I'm travelling in Sydney. Oh, look, I yeah. Would, yeah, I would say just come down and check it out because there is, you know, we've got visual arts. Yeah. Um, that are, they're a part of Murray Manumbo Board. Um, the Huxleys have done an incredible exhibition paying tribute to singers and icons um, that have died of AIDS and HIV. That's an exhibition that you can come down and just and have a look at and just be in that space. As I mentioned, we've got food from an Indigi Earth, so you can even just come and have a coffee, have some traditional food, um, look at the artwork, and just be in that space. And you, who knows, you might you might get there and have a look at the program and go. Oh, I'd love. I, I'm here for that show, so I might go and see that show. And then um, you, yeah, you just go yeah. to all the events. Yeah, yeah. you just yeah. touched on uh, one aspect that I wanted to come to. It's uh, it's just uh, not everything about uh, uh, this uh, program is not just about fun. Uh, there's also uh, remembering and honouring uh, legendary yeah. artists lost to HIV, <laughs> bloodlines, a multi-art form exhibition. Uh, you know, loving tribute to the many influential voices silenced by a HIV/AIDS epidemic in the '90s and '80s. I think it's a, that's a really important point. As I think, you know, you know, it is a big world pride and it is a big event, and 
But we have to remember that at the core of all Pride festivals, we are still um, fighting for equality. And and a big part of what we do is ensuring that we're amplifying the voices of those who are, who are usually underrepresented or don't have a voice or are marginalised. You know, there is fun and there is glitter and there is the parties, but at the core of it, there is still those really important conversations that we need to have. And, you know, we're going to be doing a deaf, um, deadly and black, queer and black panel as well. And that's having queer, black, deaf people on the panel talking about their experiences of being a minority within minority. And, you know, so it's about being able to amplify, amplify their stories and their um, visibility in community. So, yeah, it's important that we do continue to share those stories, the legacies, um, and, and pay tribute to our elders and our, you know, leaders from the past that have enabled us to be able to be in a position where we can celebrate and we can have all the fun, as well as being able to advocate and, and you know, speak up about equality. Yeah, an inclusive space and speaking out about the minorities that are usually marginalised and um, yeah, put on the sidelines and uh, yeah, something that needs to be addressed. And the whole gathering space will be closed by uh, a party new gen takeover. So who is the next generation? Yes. So, yeah, so the, to end the gathering space, we're handing it over to Kaiwa, who is a young um, Aboriginal trans man who was a part of the House of Silky. And, um, yeah, he's going to bring together all of his fabulous uh, folks and colleagues, and we're going to have one party to remember. And, you know, it is about looking forward. It is a, about that next generation and, and, and really being able to support, support them. And what, adv- what uh, advantages and uh, possible challenges uh, do they face, the new generation? You know, there's a lot of things that they do have. I think that, um, you know, because of the work that has, has happened from our leaders and our ancestors and our trailblazers, I think it has been a bit... But, you know, look, an Aboriginal trans male um, still faces discrimination, still has challenges with um, medical system and you know all of all of the struggles that a lot of our trans community face although this younger generation has a lot of great things because of the work that has been done in the past they are still fighting the challenges of being a trans person in this country and you know of people being under under truly understand what that journey is like so um you know a part of that is is allowing you know them to be able to be the centre and the spotlight, and to and to to to, to really um, be the be the owners of of what that space looks like, and um, to be able to hand it over to that next generation, I think is really exciting because you know they're very passionate. I think that they're very um, vocal, and they have a lot of fight. So I think that it it excites me that the next generation are are taking the lead now and and are, and are creating that new path. Yeah, no, it's really a packed up program. Well, uh, sounds like uh, something really to look forward to, and um, I really encourage our listeners to just turn up, experience yeah. what's on offer. Sounds like a really beautiful put together program and jump packed with fun activities as well. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. And it's, yeah, people can definitely 
head to Carriage Works website or the Sydney World Pride and check out all the information. And it is for everyone. So, you know, um, every sexuality and gender and every um, cultural background, we're asking you to come with an open mind and heart and experience Mari Marang Puput, Many Brave Hearts. Many, ah, that's the meaning of Mari Madang Bukur, yes, Bukur. many brave hearts in Gadigal language. Well, Ben Gratz, Creative Director, Marie Madang Putput, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today. Anytime, thank you so much. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Now, as uh, thousands are uh, Converge on Sydney to celebrate World Pride this fortnight. Advocates are urging the Australian government to use its diplomatic position to advance LGBTIQ plus rights in the Asia Pacific. Grassroots groups want targeted funding to improve the lives and freedoms of the most vulnerable. Navim Lazik reports. Yemania Brown, born in Samoa, is a proud Fafa Fine trans woman. Her identity is entwined in a culture that's long recognised gender diversity. All this thing about LGBTI, communities, my communities have dealt with it for thousands of years by accepting people because of what they do and what they bring. Yet LGBTIQ plus people across the Asia-Pacific remain legally marginalised by laws often dating back to colonial rule. As Isakele Vulevu from the Pacific Sexual and Gender Diversity Network explains. Pre-colonisation, there was a lot of non-normative gender and sexualities that were present in the Pacific until uh, the colonisers landed on our land and uh, changed the way people see and view those with non-normative gender and sexualities. Stigma, discrimination and violence, uh, of course, is a large part of the experiences of LGBTQI people in the Pacific growing up. Uh, Climate change and disaster risk reduction, uh, recently we did a study. Of the Asia-Pacific nations considered a priority for Australian aid, 14 currently have laws criminalising same-sex relations, although the level of enforcement varies. Seven of those are in the Pacific, where legal rights for transgender and gender-diverse people are also restricted. Uh, Many of our members are not able to access uh, critical services and sectors which include health. Um, Not many people are confident to access health care because of the stigma and discrimination. Some nations are also moving to increase restrictions of same-gender relationships. In December, Indonesia passed laws to criminalise sex outside of marriage in three years' time. With the Labor government looking to improve ties with Pacific neighbours, it's drafting a new development plan. Advocates like Anna Brown, CEO of Equality Australia, see an opportunity for the federal government to prioritise the push for rights in the region. That means targeted funding to empower communities to make the change they need, an overarching strategy to drive Australia's approach to these issues and external leadership, high-level representation to advocate for LGBTI human rights here and abroad. Across the 2019-2020 financial year, Australia spent just $700,000 supporting overseas LGBTIQ plus programs. That pales in comparison to nations like Canada, which spent $25 million, and the Netherlands, the largest supporter, which allocated $75 million. Here's Dave Scammell, Senior Advisor at the Global Philanthropy Project. Over the last decade, I think within the context of uh, a shrinking overall aid budget, LGBTI issues have really been neglected, uh, whilst other donor governments have really expanded their support. 
Regional grassroots organisations say funding would change lives. Midnight Poonkaset Watana is the executive director of APCOM, the Asia-Pacific Coalition on Male Sexual Health. These groups, LGBT groups, and including ours, are doing really, really important work that's reaching the most marginalised that are not being supported by their governments when it comes to stigma discrimination and also when it comes to opportunities. Australia's Labor government positions itself as a strong supporter of the community. In a statement to SBS News, a spokesperson for the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade highlighted the appointment of a new human rights ambassador who will work to protect and promote human rights globally, including the LGBTQI plus community. Advocates say Australia's Foreign Minister Penny Wong, a key figure in the legalisation of same-sex marriage, can play a prominent role. The Asia-Pacific will be high on the agenda at next week's World Pride Human Rights Conference. Naveen Razik, SBS News. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. Welcome back. Now, human rights groups say Australia faces international embarrassment after a United Nations monitor was forced to abandon its tour of the country's detention centres. The UN Subcommittee on Prevention of Torture has blamed the New South Wales and Queensland government's refusal to grant it unrestricted access. But the two states deny They've obstructed, they've obstructed inspectors. Gareth Boham reports. It's a controversial withdrawal that sparked condemnation from Human Rights Commissioner Lorraine Finlay. Well, I think it sends a terrible message. It is a profoundly disappointing decision, but unfortunately it's a decision that is not unexpected, nor is it undeserved. UN monitors suspended their visit to Australian detention centres last October after the governments of Queensland and New South Wales denied them full access. Now they've abandoned the tour altogether. In a move, Australian Green Senator David Shoebridge says leaves Australia in dubious company. This is a really poor outcome for Australia and it shows Australia in an exclusive club that we wouldn't want to be a part of. The only two countries that have had the UN Torture Committee terminate a visit because of lack of access. The only two countries in the world are Rwanda and Australia. And that is not a club that Australia should join. In a statement, the Subcommittee on the Prevention of Torture's chairwoman, Suzanne Jabour, says despite good cooperation from the federal government, there is no alternative but to terminate the visit as the issue of unrestricted access to all places of deprivation of liberty in two states has not yet been resolved. Ms Jabour says what the Subcommittee observed will be shared with the state party as soon as possible and will enable ongoing communication with the Australian government. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has distanced himself from the controversy. Well, that's a decision for uh, those, uh, those state governments. I have a national government uh, to, uh, to, to, to run, uh, along with my Cabinet colleagues, and I'll, I'll stick to answering about federal issues. The aborted inspection visit has added more pressure on Australia to fulfil its monitoring commitments under the UN's optional protocol to the Conventions Against Torture, an international treaty known as OPCAT, first ratified by the previous coalition government in 2017. Rye Atkinson from Amnesty International Australia says the country's global standing is at stake. You have, you know, Australia not even able to, to meet its treaty obligations when it comes to having those places of detention open for inspection. Um, 
So, you know, it's, it's really tarnished Australia's reputation on the international stage, that's for sure. A spokesman for Federal Attorney-General Mark Dreyfus says while the subcommittee's decision is regrettable, it doesn't reflect the government's commitment to promoting human rights and meeting its OPCAT obligations. Gareth Borum, SBS News. SBS On Demand has hundreds of TV shows and movies available to stream for free. Watch a world of stories on your phone, smart TV, tablet or laptop. Download the SBS On Demand app or visit the website today. Australian indigenous languages make up just 2% of uh, languages spoken around the world, but they represent 9% of uh, endangered languages. First Nations advocates are calling for increased support to protect Australia's faster languages. Ayman Baghdadi reports. For Bachala songman Fred Leone, singing in his grandfather's native tongue is a passion. His language is what ties him to his culture. He says more federal funding is needed to preserve and protect his culture's language. Without language, you can't have like a, that sort of deep relationship with the with cultural um, practices. So, yeah, definitely need to be able to... Um, have some funding put towards it, you know, federal funding. Fred says his language is slowly fading. Every year there's um, another language dying, you know, so um, with an elder, another language goes, so it's really important that we use, like, every available um, sort of resource uh, to be able to keep language going. While Australian Indigenous languages represent just 2% of global languages, they make up 9% of those critically endangered. Paul Payton is the CEO of the Federation of Victorian Traditional Owner Corporations and says the statistics are embarrassing. It's an embarrassing statistic for Australia on the, on the, on the global scale. Um, you know, we've seen statistics for Indigenous languages and their uh, revival uh, remain unchanged, virtually unchanged for, for years. And clearly we need to do something different to actually see uh, a change in the uh, amount of languages that are being spoken back in our communities. So I think there's, there's a lot we can do. The theme of 2023's International Mother Language Day focuses on multilingual education. Stephen Smith is the acting director of First Nations Engagement from the Queensland State Library. He says teaching children how to speak in Indigenous language is important. The future of language is always with children, so having children understand uh, the, the mother mother tongue, the mother language, uh, it's important to introduce them at a very early age to, to literacy to start with, but if you can do that in an Indigenous language, uh, the, the cultural um, benefits are just uh, fantastic. Kerry Klim is hoping for a modern solution. In today's digital age, there's so many ways that we can do that, whether it's through books, through apps, online. You know, really, there's so many ways we can um, revive and survive our um, First Nations language. 
But advocates like Paul Payton say community consultation is critical. It's only uh, those communities on the ground who can actually set the direction for their language revival going forward and provide that authority and that foundation that's going to support all of the other activities um, that we see and initiatives that we can um, uh, are putting out there. Eamon Baghdadi, SBS News. And that was uh, Pokrupa by uh, Electric uh, Fields, uh, bringing us to the end uh, of uh, today's uh, program. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Bertrand Tungandami, thank you for your company this Wednesday afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. Papers moving. Papers moving. Papers moving.